Chatterbox Sports Studios. It's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, good morning, good morning, and good morning. Hump day, they call it. Welcome to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. And we have a brand new sponsor here today, fellas, before we go any further. Absolutely do. We do. Pawnee Water. Now, these guys are right across the street. Uh, And I've had a chance to meet the guys that founded it. They were former Procter & Gamble guys. And if you're still drinking regular water, you got to get rid of it. Uh, and, And I can attest to that. Did you know that alkaline water has been shown to have superior hydration benefits versus regular water? And that's done in clinical studies. The new premium alkaline water that's out is Pawnee. It's made right across the street here in Hamilton. Pawnee uses natural limestone filtration, unlike the artificial processing that many other brands use. The result is a healthy alkaline water that is also the best tasting water in the world. Please visit their website at pawneewater.com, and that's spelled P-A-H-H-N-I water.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water at a store near you, and we thank them for being part of the program. Great stuff. Casey has some over here. Yes, he does. Check Casey, it out. You, you're already you're you're all in. I'm sold. I'm sold. I, I had a little test run. They came early on to um, talk to us like a couple weeks ago, and I'm pretty sure I had about half those waters in that. Uh, <laughs> well, good. In that slate, that stack that they gave us. So, I'm all about Pawnee Water. Well, I'm, I'm all about local, local companies. You know, you want to see guys do well that are right here. And like I said, they, they're doing all this stuff across the street, right here in downtown Hamilton, UDF, local company, uh, all the other great advertisers we have here, whether it's Penn Station and all those franchises, whether it's Jake Sweeney, whether it's Encore Technologies based out of here in Cincinnati, we're all about it. We're all about it. This show comes your way every day from 10 a.m. to noon Eastern time. You can find us at YouTube slash Chatterbox Sports. We invite you to please subscribe to the program if you prefer to join us in podcast form. And maybe that's something you want to do today because we have Dusty Baker coming up at 1115 today. Very excited about that. Just go to wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Google, Apple, Off the Bench, with Tom Brenneman, and you will be dialed in. Well, where do we begin? Lots going on in sports. A lot. Crossover season, if you will. Let's start with the Bengals and Steelers. They'll tee it up for the second time this season. That's Sunday in Pittsburgh. Kick off at 425 in the afternoon. All of us remember the first meeting. Joe Burrow turned it over five times. That may never happen again. He was sacked six times. In a 23-20 overtime defeat, of course, no Jamar Chase this week. In the first meeting, he had 10 catches for 129 yards and a touchdown. Mitchell Trubisky was the starting quarterback then for the Steelers. The rookie Kenny Pickett will start on Sunday. Cooper Cup season is over. The Rams star wide receiver injured his ankle in last week's loss at Arizona. He will have surgery today. Commanders head coach Ron Rivera has a big decision to make. Do you give Carson Wentz his old job back, or do you stay with Taylor Heineke? While Wentz has been out injured, Heineke has led the Commanders to a 3-1 and record. What would you do? College football. 
The new college football playoff rankings came out last night. No changes to the top five. You've got Georgia one. The mighty Ohio State University Buckeyes, number two. That school up north, number three. TCU, number four. Tennessee, number five. LSU is now number six. That's the wild card in this whole thing. USC is seven. Cincinnati, by the way, number 25. Maction in full bloom last night as the Ohio University Bobcats rip off their sixth straight win. They beat Ball State in Muncie 32-18, but bad news for the Bobcats. The guy who's going to be named Player of the Year in the MAC Conference this year is their quarterback, Curtis Rourke. He left at the end of his second quarter of that game with an apparent knee injury. No word how serious it is. But that's a big blow because Bowling Green beat Toledo with a touchdown in the final nine seconds of the game. So Ohio University and Bowling Green will play in Athens on Tuesday night with the MAC East title on the line. College hoops last night. Xavier beats Fairfield, 78-65. Big night for Zach Fremantle. He records a triple-double. 15 points, 13 rebounds, 10 assists. The competition now ramps up for the Musketeers because Friday night, Indiana comes to town. Number 21, Dayton, loses last night in Vegas. Couple of heavyweight games up the road in Indianapolis last night. Number four, Kentucky, goes to double overtime, losing to Michigan State. 86-77. Kentucky shoots 38% from the field, 28% from three. And it does not get easier because number two, Gonzaga, is next up for the Wildcats on Saturday. In the nightcap, number seven, Duke, against the defending national champion, Kansas Jayhawks. And Kansas wins it 69-64. Baseball news. Terry Francona, named American League Manager of the Year. Third time he's done that. The one-time Red led Cleveland to the playoffs despite having baseball's, one of baseball's lowest team payrolls. The Mets, meanwhile, spent a ton of money, and they lived up to it until the playoffs. Their manager, Buck Showalter, wins the National League's Manager of the Year. For Showalter, it's the fourth time he's won the award with four different franchises. And like Dusty Baker until last week, Showalter is still in search of his first World Series title. In fact, Showalter is still in search of his first World Series appearance. Big show today. Hall of Famer Marty Brenneman coming up in a matter of moments. We have Johnny B. Dusty Baker coming up at 11.15. And Dad, you are sporting your Carolina Tar Heels sweatshirt. That's a big league hoodie. I don't know if I've ever seen you in a hoodie before. That's a good look for you. Uh, Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. All right, it's a big league sweatshirt you got there. I'm here. Yeah, I think so. I mean, check it out. Baseball sweatshirt. Yeah, but this is basketball season. And when basketball season starts, it's all about Carolina basketball. Yeah, you know, I don't have a Carolina basketball sweatshirt. I may have one after this weekend. No, I got this, and it's cold, and this is warm. That. 
Are we back to his tired setup again with this I, internet? We must be. We must be. Because we're having some issues here with Marty Brenneman. We'll see if we, we can continue this and see if we can't get this straightened out. Um, your Tar Heels win last night, but I know you were dialed in uh, to some big-time college basketball. Uh, you follow it. You love it. You used to broadcast it forever in the NCAA tournament all those years. Uh, what were your thoughts? Did you watch much of the Kentucky game last night? And what were your thoughts about the Big Blue? I watched a considerable uh, time watching Michigan State last night. And they started at 7 o'clock. And then Carolina started at 8. Uh, from 7 to 8, I was a captive audience with the Big State. And then I went back and forth once the Carolina game got started. Uh, uh, but I got the Kentucky team. And, and let me tell you something. Despite the fact they got beat last night, they double not shoot the ball well, as you uh, uh, you might have alluded to earlier, uh, going really good. Uh, they're going to certainly be good enough to win a national championship. Uh, they've got the best big man of the country, uh, without any question, uh, national play. May well win it again this season. Uh, a lot of clubs are struggling. I mean, and Duke on the same floor uh, a month and a half from now, 69 64. It's got to be more likely be 89 uh, Teams are having a problem getting going. Carolina did not play well last night. Um, so I, I think you can take some things away. From her, especially when you have teams that are playing uh, with aspirations of winning a championship, like we saw four last night uh, in that uh, doubleheader in Indianapolis. I think it's going to be very, very good without any question. Casey, you want to try this again? Uh, what do we want uh, to do here? Let, let's let's go to a break real quick and I'll just see if there's uh, I'm going to ask him a few questions and then we'll okay all right dad we'll uh, stand by here we're going to get back to you a second to check out what we got going on technically here for just a minute and we're back on off the bench presented by okay. UDF in a moment we're having uh, major technical difficulties with uh, Marty Brenneman so he will not be coming back on the program today he'll be joining us down in his um, estate down in North Carolina next Wednesday uh, disappointing because I wanted to ask him a little bit about college basketball, but also wanted to talk a little bit about the whole Pete Rose thing. And we discussed it yesterday with um, both Tracy Jones and Paul Doherty about Pete Rose's letter to the commissioner, Rob Manfred, uh, asking to be reinstated um, to the Baseball Hall of Fame ballot. You know, I'm kind of curious, fellas, and Casey, I know you're not a baseball guy, and thank you very much, Casey and Paul, for trying to get that stuff straightened out with, with, with my dad. But, you know, I wonder, we can sit here, and let's just assume for a second that Rob Manfred has, you know, this epiphany where he says, okay, I'm going to end this lifetime banishment, at least as it pertains to being on the Hall of Fame ballot, this goes back to 1989 when Rose was suspended and banned from baseball by the late Commissioner Mark G Bart Giamatti after a lengthy investigation by John Dowd, who, by the way, is still going strong. That, that, that guy's still uh, 
very much coveted in all kinds of different investigations, both in sports and particularly on the political front. But I almost wonder what the writers would do because they are the ones that vote on the Hall of Fame. No broadcasters, no former players, that whole players thing after a number of years on the ballot, if you don't hit a certain number of percentage of votes uh, after, a, I think it's five years, you're dumped off into the Veterans Committee, uh, and that's where players would have a chance to vote. But I wonder, because you have so many young voters now. I mean, Pete Rose is 80 years old, 81 years old. I wonder if the, the voters and the writers would vote Pete Rose into the Hall of Fame if he was on the ballot tomorrow. It's a good question. Um, I don't know enough of the writers to make a good guess about it, but I do think if I was, and this, I, I have nothing to do with baseball. I'm not a Reds fan. This is just me thinking about the player himself, the, the manager himself, the guy who's already served time in, uh, in jail, you know, like he's already, <laughs> he's already been through his sentence his sentence. I think it's fair to put him in. I think it's fair to reinstate him. Don't don't wait until it's too late and he's dead. Don't don't do that. That's terrible. That There's too many times where when someone makes a mistake and someone's just dug into their belief that he doesn't deserve forgiveness and then it's too late to change that decision to where it really matters. Yeah. Like you're not you're not going to – whatever he's done in the past, he's already served his time for. It's time to forgive and move on. You know, it would be such a positive – it's not going to be a negative to reinstate no. him. It's not going to be a negative to have him on, in the Hall of Fame, in my opinion. I, I don't see how anyone could view it as a negative process or an experience for him to be – in the Hall of Fame. What do, you, what do you think, Paul? Bonds should be in. Clemens should be in. Pete should be in. They should all be in. They should all be in. It's a shame that they're not. That's just my opinion. You know, you talk about getting voted into the Hall of Fame after one has passed. And one of my nearest and dearest friends, uh, I don't know if I've ever loved another man who wasn't in my family more than I loved Ron Santo. Now, that may, may not mean a lot to you at home, but Ron Santo was the best third baseman uh, in his era, spanning better than 15 years, primarily with the Chicago Cubs. He played one year with the White Sox and then walked away. Phenomenal player. Phenomenal player on offense and defense. Uh, he played his whole career, was diagnosed with diabetes when he was 19 years old and didn't tell anybody. And he's playing day games and then traveling on the road and night games. He's taking insulin injections and all this kind of stuff, not telling anybody. And then one day it came out when he passed out during a game at Wrigley Field. But I remember when I, I was doing the Cubs games and Ron Santo was my partner. And every single year for seven or eight years, might have gone on longer than that. But I was there for six of them. And then I was living in Arizona where he was living in the offseason. And the Hall of Fame vote would come up. 
and all the Chicago radio and TV stations and writers would migrate out to where Roddy was living in Arizona in the winter, and they would camp out in front of his house, ready for that word to come that he had finally been inducted into the Hall of Fame. To him, it meant more than just about anything in the world outside of one, seeing the Cubs win a World Series. One would be his family. Two would be the Cubs winning a World Series. And then getting in the Hall of Fame. Year after year, those reporters would be sitting outside of his home and the word would come down that he did not get in. Now, a number of those occasions, I was sitting inside that house when the word came and he never got the call. And other guys would get the call. And this went on for years and years. Then he gets shifted over eventually to the Veterans Committee. Ron Santo, while waiting to get in the Hall of Fame, I brought up earlier a diabetic. He had one leg amputated. Two years later, he had a second leg amputated. He continued to broadcast the Cubs games, fitted with prosthetics, walked around you'd have never known in a million years to the guy didn't have his legs. Upbeat, happy, wearing his jeans and his cowboy boots and rooting on the Cubbies. I remember going in there by the time I was with the Diamondbacks and with the Reds, and if the Diamondbacks got a big hit to win a game, Reds got a big hit to win a game, we'd be in the booth next door, and he's sitting there pounding on that table, so angry he couldn't see straight that his beloved Cubbies were going to lose. So what happens? Ron Santo dies. And what happens after that? He's voted into the Hall of Fame. His wife did a beautiful job in the induction ceremony. His wife, Vicki, wonderful woman, together a long, long time. God bless her, all the things that she had to go through and to do after his legs were amputated and all that comes with it and being a diabetic and the issues. Many of you are well aware of those issues. Some of you may have family, friends. Maybe you are a diabetic, but it's a brutal disease. He's inducted into the Hall of Fame after he's dead. The Chicago Cubs win the World Series after he died. He's not around for either one of them. Now, you mean to tell me, now these are very different circumstances. Ron Santo and Pete Rose. Pete gambled on baseball. That's been a rule in baseball. You're banned forever. That's the rule. But what purpose is served, Casey, as you point out? What purpose is served in the grand scheme of life by waiting until Pete Rose is dead to give him a chance to get into the Hall of Fame? What purpose is served? I'm not sitting here cheerleading for Pete Rose. Guy screwed up. I know all about screwing up. But 30 years 35 years, forgive me, we're in 2022, this was 89. So almost 35 years ago. Let me ask you guys this. Does it change the landscape that all the professional sports, and especially baseball, they are all in bed with gambling sites now? 
or does that have nothing to do with Pete Rose gambling on baseball? I really don't think it does. And I know everybody wants to say, oh, the Major League Baseball has the BetMGM partnerships, baseball's signing all these official gambling deals, all that. To me, that doesn't matter. Because if David Bell was gambling on games, he'd have the same punishment. Just because baseball is making use of a good business decision to partner with gambling companies doesn't just all of a sudden absolve Pete of gambling on games while he was a part of the team, to me, at least. I, I, don't, I don't think that that has anything to do with it. Okay. So, so to, to be clear, though, you still want him in the Hall of Fame personally, but you think logically he shouldn't be. Is that what you're no, saying? No, 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 no. I, I, no, I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. I, I, to have Pete Rose, the hit king, not in the Hall of Fame, to me, the same as Barry Bonds. To have a guy like Barry Bonds not in the Hall of Fame, it's ridiculous. And, well, and I could go down a whole other tangent of having the media members vote on the Hall of Fame. I think that's ridiculous, too. But that's, that's a whole other topic. I just think that having Pete Rose withheld from the Hall of Fame because of these gambling issues, if he had apologized right away, if he had come out, he yep. had been contrite immediately. And he that. Yep. And he had been genuine in his contrition, and he hadn't taken such issue and, and continued to have public image problems later, he'd be in. Which then begs the question, is the Hall of Fame more than just the player they're going for the character and everything else, too. Uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a dirty road. Well, it, and that's exactly right. So then where do you draw the line? If you're going to put a guy like Ty Cobb in, where are you going to draw the line? So you get, you get down into the weeds of all this, and it's like, hey, let's take a look at the guys that are in there right now, and all of a sudden you're going to play this game of, well, we're not going to put Pete in. We're not going to put Barry in. We're not going to put Roger in. We're gonna, but Bud Selig's going to get in. Well, I mean, I, you know, you, you look at guys, and if you're going to get into, quote, unquote, you know, cheating the game, um, I mean, look, you, you walk by the Gaylord Perry, right? You walk by, his, he's in the Hall of Fame. Openly admitted cheater. Doctored up the ball. Um, it, it, it's just, a, it, it's just a, a, I know it's complicated, and probably too complicated for this small mind of mine. Uh, I know Pete Rose. I like him quite a bit. I think he's done some things that I, I certainly, um, you know, it's tough. Um, but, you know, he, he's at least, I find it so interesting in how people look at this, this letter in dramatically different ways. The new columnist Williams over at the Enquirer yeah. took serious umbrage. And his word was, you know, it was insincere. Now, I don't know him. I've met him. Um, but I can tell you, um, I have a really hard time. And look, you know, everybody has their uh, issues in life and, and the things that they do and then the consequences they pay. Um, I worked for 30-plus years broadcasting Major League Baseball, 25 in the NFL. And, 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 you know, I've shared this with my wife and my kids. And, you know, there is a part of my career that is only going to be known 
for this apology that I tempted, attempted in uh, it, it, when I know my whole career is crumbling and I'm trying to do it, and I call a Castellanos home run. Um, and, and unfortunately, uh, and I earned it, uh, but unfortunately, you know, there are people out there that that's the only thing they'll ever remember about the career of Tom Brenneman. The problem I have is when you have people that all of a sudden start questioning how sincere you are about your apology. How in the world does some columnist, or anybody for that matter, how in the world can they gauge the sincerity of Pete Rose in a letter to the commissioner? Are you in his heart? Are you in his soul? Are you in his mind? How do you question the sincerity of it? That's the only problem I had with people jumping on my ass about my apology and calling, and calling a home. I just re reflect back to, bam, oh, this is my job. And all of a sudden for a second, and now all of a sudden it is what it is. And I'm not sitting here looking for pity from anybody. But when key people came out and questioned how sincere my apology was, to me, that is just, there's no way you can know that. How can somebody write about the sincerity of Pete Rose's letter to Rob Manfred. How? Like, I, I guess you just have to have a take on it. That was his take. I didn't read it, so I don't want to judge it without reading it. Yeah, his article, I mean. I didn't read. I did read Pete's letter. Well. I, I'll say this, too. Um it's a bigger deal, at least for the folks of Cincinnati. Like we've got guys, not just like Pete Rose that we're worried about in the hall of fame. If you look at the Bengals side, like Ken Riley passing away and we've made a strong argument for him to be in the hall of fame. The dude still leads the league in like season interceptions or the amount that you can, or it was tied or something like that, but it's been held for almost 60, 70 years, as long as the NFL's been around. Um, the people of Cincinnati, I think, would all agree that we have been overshadowed, overlooked by other teams, other priorities for those riders to get other people in. And this is just another excuse, I think, for them to just keep pushing Pete Rose down the road like, I mean, it, it just isn't a good look. Um, and like you said, the sincerity of an apology, how do you even attempt to dissect it and um, pick it apart? Um, that's, to me, it's just not fair. I mean, the dudes wrote, wrote two letters. Well, life's not like, fair. I, I mean, you know, life's not fair, and that's the way it goes. I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, things just happen, and, and, and it is what it is. I mean, I, I know that sounds sort of cliche, not sort of, it is cliche-ish, but, but that's the way it goes. I mean, guys like Ken Riley or um, Kenny Anderson, uh, another guy who's waiting around. And, you know, the football thing, uh, and I've said for years, we've talked about it on the show, uh, and the friendship I developed a 1,000 years ago with Ron Yeri. Until Anthony Munoz came around, most people thought Ron Yeri was the best offensive tackle in the history of football. All those great teams with the Vikings, Fran Tarkington, the quarterback, um, you know, all, all those teams that lost Super Bowls, never won a Super Bowl. 
and, and I think I think most people in the football side of things would agree that for a long, long time, and maybe even now, guys are kept out because their teams never won the big one, right? And yeah. Minnesota never won the big one. Yeah. And maybe some smaller market teams, you know, Kenny Riley, Kenny Anderson, maybe an example. Uh, the Pete thing, though, is is so unique. Uh, there's nothing like it in the history of sports. You can say, well, Shoeless, Joe Jackson, it's going back to 1919, whatever it was. The Pete thing is different than anything else. And I know some of you are writing here on the chat today, and we appreciate everybody being on board. Why are we talking about Pete? Because this might be his last shot. And I just wonder, and you know what? I'm going to call, I'm going to call the commissioner's office tomorrow. And I know I won't get through. And I know I won't get a call back from the baseball commissioner. If I called the NFL commissioner, I'd get a call back. People can like Roger Goodell or not like Roger Goodell. I like the guy a lot. When you call Roger Goodell, he calls you back. You call the baseball commissioner's office, I'm betting the ranch I'm not getting a call back. Especially if you say, hey, what about the Pete Rose say? But I wonder how much they're talking about that. If it's even on the front burner or the back burner. Here's the thing that I would say, Tom, as a way to wrap this up on my end. If Rob Manfred or the people high up in baseball know that he's going to get in after he dies, if, if somewhere in the deep recesses of their brain, all the way back in there, they know they've had these conversations that, hey, we're just going to wait Pete out here, and once he dies, we'll put him in, then they should put him in now. And only they know the answer to that. Only they know the answer of what's going to happen 15, 20 years from now. But it has become way more than just the gambling thing with Pete. He, he's had character yeah. issues. Remember that comment he made on the Phillies broadcast last yeah. year? Or the might have even been this year. I don't remember yeah. when that was. Yeah. He, he has just dug himself into too big of a hole with character issues over and over and over again that it has spiraled into way more than just the gambling issues that if he had been on some games, come – come out immediately and said, I'm sorry, it'll never happen again. I'm deeply sorry to the city, to the sport. I, I recognize my problem, and that was it. And he, and he moved on. It was never mentioned again, and he was truly contrite, and he never had character issues and everything like that. He's in 20 years ago, but that's not what happened. Yeah. And that's not what has happened. No doubt. No doubt. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We'll get off the Pete Rose saying we got Dusty Baker coming up at 11.15 today. We're very much looking forward to that. But when we come back, we're going to talk a little football. Talk to Bengals. Talk to college football playoff rankings. Maybe play some what-if scenarios. There was a fascinating article written in uh, The Athletic, and I always pub The Athletic. I'm not getting paid by them. But, but they got all the space in the world. They have no time deadlines, all that kind of thing. They can write about all these different scenarios, and it goes on and on and on and on. If you're into it, you can read it. It's great. But it talked about, and we're going to talk about this, that playing the what-if game, if Georgia gets in and they're going to get in, even if they lose the SEC championship game, and of course it would get very complicated if they lost to LSU, a two-loss team. But the question perhaps could come down to, and let's assume for a second that TCU Beats Baylor this week, Iowa State next week, and then has to beat a really good Kansas State team. I know nobody cares about Kansas State around here, but trust me when I tell you, they are really good. They're ranked 15th in the current rankings, and I would bet money right now if Kansas State played USC or Kansas State played Oregon, Kansas State would beat those teams. But 
if it comes down to a one-loss Tennessee team versus a one-loss Ohio State or Michigan team, who gets in? We'll talk about that when we come back. All right, we're back on uh, Off the Bench presented by United Dairy Farmers. And uh, in the chat room, it's a good point, fair point. The player formerly known as Mouse Cop says, um, Mr. Williams from the Inquirer's main argument was basically that Pete Rose the player is not Pete Rose the person. But unlike us, he's making the argument that his character is what is keeping him out. And I don't have any doubt about that. I have uh, no doubt about that. But um, anyway, all right, we're shifting gears here, fellas. Uh, let's start with the Bengals. I uh, don't know yet whether or not uh, DJ Reader for sure is going to play. He was not listed, by the way, when they came out. You know, th th this stuff is what, what used to make me crazy when I was announcing football games. Um, the Bengals depth chart is released every single week inside their media notes and media packet. They have Jamar Chase as a starter at wide receiver. They don't have DJ Reader listed at all in the three deep. Not at all. Now, we don't know if Reader, he was, you know, given the green light to go ahead and start playing uh, or practicing. Uh, we'll find out whether or not, you know, his knee responds. It's a very serious injury he had, much more serious than we thought originally uh, in that MCL. So whether or not he's back. Uh, the Steelers, you know, they're, they're kind of hanging in there. They're not a good team. They're going with a rookie quarterback. But they certainly do have some things, fellas, that still concern you. I mean, you go back to that first game, and we've seen it this year. The first game, the second game against Dallas, the game against Cleveland, when teams have, you know, more than one bona fide serious pass rusher, it's created problems for the Bengals offensively this year in protecting Joe Burrow. Cameron Hayward is still there. T.J. Watt is back. They have some other young players that are coming along. Worried about the pass rush this week, Case? Uh, yes. Um, and I'm still trying to understand how he was cleared to practice with two tears and an MCL. Like, I mean, he's only gone for like four weeks, right? Four or five weeks. That's not nearly enough for a complete recovery without surgery, right? Right. Unless they were so minor, like they were just precautionary. I, I'm, I'm not a doctor, but two tears in the MCL sounds really crazy to me. Yeah, it does. And um, I know that they, uh, the Bengals went out and they um, worked out Philion, a defensive tackle guy. He was a former Raiders yep. defensive tackle. Um, so they're looking for depth. So it doesn't make me feel very confident that he's going to return. Um, so I am going to say I'm a little nervous. Um but I'm always going to be a little nervous going to Pittsburgh. Yep. I, you're never going to convince me otherwise. I don't care how bad they are. I don't care that they stink. Going to Pittsburgh should always be something that we take very seriously. Anytime we play a divisional opponent, it should be taken very seriously, even though that they stink. But I, I'm just saying, like, for the Bengals' perspective, I think that they should be taking this game very seriously. They should be all in on this game. Whereas some games I feel like they might not have been, like the Browns game, they probably just 
weren't in it to begin with. Um, if they come out really sluggish, if they if they come out on defense and they just don't get after um, Pickett, and if they don't stop the run like we're used to, uh, it's going to be a long day. Um, Casey, uh, Everett Henry in the chat really wants you to make a prediction on the game. I was told, I believe, by our chat to never make another prediction ever again. That's no, right. I, he said in all caps, please make a prediction. Well, please. Everett then said, do not make a prediction, Casey. <laughs> That's what he said. I'm not going to make a prediction. I won't jinx anybody here on this in this uh, chat room or in this live stream. But I do think that the Bengals are the better team, and they – they need to prove it. They need to go out there and take So you're it not making a prediction. No. We know they're the better team. <laughs> yeah. We know they need to prove it. But you're not going to make a prediction on the game. I'm not going to give Well, you're going to have to pick on Friday. Oh, yeah. I'll, so, I'll do our picks, but I'm not going to give a number prediction. I'm not going to say how it's going to go. I just know that the Bengals are the better team and they need to prove it. Well, you know, you, you look back and again, I don't know how much stock you're putting in the first game of the year. It's a game the Bengals clearly should have won. Uh, if they make an extra point, uh, they win a the game. But, you know, you look back to that game, and I mentioned that Jamar Chase had 10 catches, 129 yards, and a touchdown. If you recall, T. Higgins was concussed in that game, right, on the big hit down the sideline. Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins, neither one had any impact on the game whatsoever. Neither one. Mixon had the second most catches. Hayden Hurst had the third most catches. Now Higgins, you know, you take out because he was injured. But he and Boyd were, were non-existent. Without Chase, uh, Paul, they better find a way, as we've talked about before with this team. Uh, their offense has only been good this year against terrible teams. And so you can sit there and talk about it all you want at home. But again, the three teams they posted 30 or more on are a combined 9-18, and 18, and they're all in the NFC South. They haven't done it, really done it, against somebody that's good. And I don't know if the Steelers are good, but their defense is all right. Yeah. Well, you said it. You said it exactly, Tom. The, the Bengals just have to find a way. They just have to find a way. It doesn't matter how they do it, and at least it's not in prime time. At least it's not in prime time that they have to go to – look, we all know nobody goes into a Creasure Stadium in prime time and wins a game. So – Look, the Bengals avoid that 425 on Sunday afternoon and just just get it done. That's all that matters because we, we talk about these injuries. We talk about all this other stuff. But in a divisional game, when you haven't performed that well against the division this year and you've been so close to doing that in a Ravens game that you had a shot to win in a Steelers game that you should have won and then the Browns game was debacle. But – you got this second half of the season. You, you can't be messing around with the division anymore. Well, we've talked about it on this program. Uh, it's a game you got to win. Uh, I I would say that if they lose this game, their season is in big time trouble. Knowing who's on the horizon, and some of you out there don't believe in the Tennessee Titans. I do. They have a big game tomorrow night. That's one of the best Thursday night football games, or at least one of the most intriguing Thursday night football games we have had this year. The Green Bay Packers trying to save their season with that win against Dallas on Sunday now come right back on three days rest 
and the Packers are going to Tennessee. Ryan Tannehill came back last week. The Bengals play Tennessee in Tennessee the following week. If they lose this week against the Steelers, um, I say they're done. Done. They are not going to get to 10 wins this year if they lose this game to the Steelers. It's not going to happen. And to be fair, if they do lose, do we really want them to make it to the playoffs? Yes, Casey. Yes. Yes, yes you want them. Uh, yes, you want to make the playoffs, yes. Casey. Yes. I don't no, know. no, no. If you, no, if you Casey, lose no. to the Steelers, do you really want to go and yes. get embarrassed in the wild You card? want to make the playoffs, Casey. Yes. Okay. All right. That's the same question as do you want to make the NCAA tournament and lose in the first round or do you want to play in the NIT and win it? You want to make the NCAA That's tournament. Right. That's right. You want okay. to get there. You'll lose in Dayton every day before you go to the NIT. So I'm not stepping that far out of the box. I mean, some of our, uh, some of our guys, you know, uh, Zachary says he agrees with me. Uh, so does Everett. If they lose, they're done. Uh, they better be able to run the ball the way they did last week uh, or two weeks ago before the bye. Uh, they better be able to run it. It's a big game for Zach Taylor. It's a big game for him. It's a big game for the franchise, big game for the players, but a really big game for Zach Taylor because this is one, if you are a serious, bona fide, contending team in the AFC, and I believe they are, if they're a bona fide contending team, you cannot, under any circumstances, lose on Sunday afternoon. All right, college football. The rankings come out last night. No change to the top five. But I'm not going to be able to quote who the article was written by in The Athletic, but he has this algorithm thing, and here you get a look at it. You got the top four, top five remain the same. Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan. Of course, those two teams play next week in Columbus. You have TCU uh, playing at Baylor this week, then home to Iowa State, and then a Big 12 championship game if they get that far. Well, they've already clinched a spot in the Big 12 championship, but will they be an undefeated team in the Big 12 championship? Then you have Tennessee. Uh, LSU is the X factor in this whole thing. If LSU runs a table and wins the SEC championship, it will be unmitigated chaos. But this, this uh, writer from The Athletic has his own algorithm about what if. And this is assuming that Georgia runs a table. Okay, they're in as a one seed. You've got TCU runs a table as an undefeated Big 12 champion. Now what happens of the three teams, and LSU would be taken out of this mix because it means that they would lose, okay? What would happen, and he didn't even include USC because I think a lot of people believe that USC is going to lose again. They've got UCLA this weekend, they've got Notre Dame, and then they've got potentially a Pac-12 championship game, okay? But if it came down to, and this was the basis of the article, if it came down to Ohio State, Michigan, and Tennessee. One of the two teams from the Big Ten would be undefeated if they win the Big Ten championship game, and, and, and they should. So let's just assume for a second it's Ohio State. All right, now you've got Michigan with one loss, Tennessee with one loss. Who gets in? His algorithm says the Big Ten should have two teams in the Final Four ahead of Tennessee. That was his. Now, he says he doesn't think the committee would do that. But he did plant a seed, which was very interesting. When they get in that room, and we're talking about now 
the team that would be number four. So that means they would have to play number one in the college football semis. Would there be any influence by the committee to avoid a rematch between Tennessee and Georgia? If Tennessee deserves to be in, then they should be in, right? I mean, I, I see the point, but... Well, you know, you look at Tennessee here now for a second, okay? And that win over Alabama doesn't look like a normal win over Alabama anymore. Alabama's lost two games. And I think we all agree they could easily have three losses at the minimum. On the flip side, though, to that, Alabama's one bounce of the ball away from being undefeated, too. I mean, they lose on a last-second kick at Tennessee, and they lose on a two-point conversion at LSU. Like, Alabama is as close to being – right. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and, and they made this exact point uh, – they're as close to being undefeated as you can be without being undefeated. So if you look at it from that flip side of it, you know, they're right there. It's not like Alabama's completely fallen off a cliff yet. It's just that they've lost a couple of tough road games in hard environments. But I'd put Tennessee in over Michigan if Michigan doesn't win. It, then Ohio State, you keep Ohio State out if Michigan wins next week in, in Columbus. It's a good question. Do you put Tennessee? Do you put a? Do you the put other a, thing about Tennessee is, and we talked about this yesterday outside of Georgia. Uh, when I look at that top four, I, I, I mean, I see Tennessee sitting there, and uh, they've got life by the tail. They go down to South Carolina. That's not a layup this weekend. Then they play Vandy. That's a massacre. Um, but they don't have to play in the SEC championship game. They don't have to play in LSU. You know, they don't have anybody else left where they just sit back at number five and they watch how Georgia does in an SEC championship game. The winner of Ohio State, Michigan. Can TCU win three more games, including the Big 12 championship? Because if any of those teams stumble, and at least one of them is going to stumble, at least one, the loser of the Ohio State-Michigan game. Tennessee's just sitting there pretty to slide right in. Yeah. I, I think Tennessee ten, – you made the, a great point the other day, Tom, which I hadn't really thought of. Of the top five teams, who are you outside of Georgia? Who, are, who would you most like to be right now? It's Tennessee. No doubt about it. It's Tennessee. That's absolutely the correct answer to that question. There is no doubt about it because if you're those other teams, you're Georgia, you're going to have to play a very good team in the SEC championship game. Michigan plays Ohio State. TCU's got some tough games left. Um, and for Tennessee, you're just sitting back. Sitting back. Still a good win. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you beat Alabama, you beat Alabama. It's still a great win. Uh, Michigan, their out-of-conference schedule is going to really hurt them. Badly. Badly. Their only big win this year was against Penn State. But who does Tennessee play, too? Well, I mean, Besides that's Alabama. the other thing. You know, they... You know, I mean, Kentucky's falling apart at the seams. You thought that was a good win at the time. The eastern half of that, I mean, put that back up a second here. I know, I know the Tennessee. The eastern half of that SEC, of the SEC, you don't see another team from the SEC East that is on that list. There are a pile of them, okay? They lost to Georgia, so that's one. 
But then you have Tennessee, and you start going down the rest of that list. Ole Miss is on the other side. Tennessee blew out LSU. They did. They did. I think that was, what, 40 to 13? They did. But that was before – I mean, give them credit. That was before LSU got things rolling and got things straightened out. But it is still a win, and it's a good win, and I'm with you. Uh, they went down there. And so that's why I say of all those teams there, uh, Michigan, I think, is the one that – well, TCU is going to be out if, if they lose a game. Uh, it's just the way the committee is and, and the way it works, even if they're a Big 12 champion, uh, outside of some other chaos that could happen and who knows. But uh, Ohio State, uh, they do have wins this season over Penn State, who's on that list. They have a win over Notre Dame, who's on that list. That Notre Dame win's looking better and better by the week. And, and, and Notre Dame, if Notre Dame wins out, including a, a, a victory over, uh, that would mean a victory over USC. Notre Dame jumps in the top 11, 10 in the country. I think you got to put them in. <laughs> How do you keep them out? Win over Clemson? Kept it close against Ohio State? And if they beat SC, that means you look at that list right there. If I mean, Notre Dame wins out, you'd have a win over seven. You'd have a win over nine for Notre Dame. And you'd have a close And you'd loss. have losses to Marshall. Yeah. Yikes. Ugh. Yikes. Could you imagine what we'd be sitting here about a Notre Dame team? that We always talk about a Notre Dame can't win the big one. Notre Dame can't win the big one. All this, all that. I get so tired of hearing it. And this year, they finally beat comes in again at home and, and you can look back to that COVID year when Trevor Lawrence got hurt and everybody had the asterisk because then Clemson went and won in the ACC championship game so a lot of people took a lot of credibility away from that Notre Dame win over Clemson at home back in in 2020 so Notre Dame gets the shot at Clemson this year we've agreed that Clemson has a down year this year but they throttle Clemson yes they did they keep it close in the first game against Ohio State when they had a different quarterback at the time but what would we be sitting here talking about Notre Dame if they hadn't lost to Marshall and Stanford? Yeah. Well, there's no doubt. It, it took a while to get it, get it together. Uh, neither one of those quarterbacks is particularly good. Uh, I just can't believe that Brian Kelly left Notre Dame uh, and they don't have a big-time, big-time quarterback uh, like you do at, at everybody else that's on that list. Um, so... It's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, you know, a lot of talk about what would it look like when in three years from now we're going to a 12-team playoff. I think it's going to be great for college football. I know a lot of fans or a lot of uh, some fans, a lot of media members are against it. Uh, I don't understand what the big deal is. Why not? Give everybody a shot. I'd love to see. You know, you put up on that list. I'd love to see how some of those teams would do against a quote-unquote big four or big five. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like to see, you know, what, what would Utah do against uh, LSU? I don't know what they would do. What would, um, on this list, North Carolina, who's only lost one game. Now, they haven't beaten anybody, but if they get into the top 12, with that quarterback they have, the May kid, you want to play them in the first round? No. No, you don't. And if Notre Dame should sneak in there, I'm not so sure how many people want to play. I, I mentioned Kansas State earlier. I think that when we go to 12 teams, it is really going to be exciting. All right. A um, couple of other little news and notes there. 
We talked about Taylor Heineke yesterday. I know we're jumping all over the board here, but I brought up in the monologue. Ron Rivera is debating what to do. Carson Wentz has been out. They made the trade for him to bring him in, right? Making big money. Had a lot of success in Philly. Little bit of success, not a ton in Indy. But they bring him in. He gets hurt. Heineke started the last four. The Commanders, a.k.a. the Football Wizards, are 3-1 and one with him at quarterback. Is there any way in the world you're not starting Taylor Heineke? Why are we even – why is there even a question about this? Wentz is terrible. Yeah, but he's not terrible. Bad. He's a bad, bad quarterback. He will lose you games. You, you win in spite of Carson Wentz. Taylor Heineke? He might actually be one of those quarterbacks that you win because of. Because he doesn't turn the ball over much. He's mobile. He just finds ways to win. And to be clear, it's not really what... The reason why they're winning football games is because they can run the ball and they have a decent enough defense. Yep. And they're getting Chase Young back. And they're getting Chase Young back. Yep. I don't know how much that's going to affect. He had a brutal injury. So we don't know what he's going to look like. But... If he comes back the same way, I say you let Tyrell Heineke just be that guy. Let him just manage the game, do what he can do when he needs to, roll out of the pocket, run around, scramble around, give him more time to develop because he's still – I don't think he's played a full season. No. No? no yeah. No. So, I mean, like, you don't know what you really have there, in my opinion. So – and he was this close to being Tom Brady. I think you, you should let him play. Do you want to be the Wizards or do you want to be the Commanders? Because Taylor Heineke is going to give you a commanding, commanding team. Where wow, Carson nice Wentz, play on words there. Carson Wentz. He, a wizard. He's a bit of a wizard. A wizard. I mean, Paul, you're a D.C. guy, Northern Virginia guy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, mean I got to believe the people you talk to back there. No brainer. Yeah, I mean – the Bengals are my team, but I'm still, as you say, Tom dialed in on, on DC Twitter. And they are just, for the, for the most part, just sick of Carson Wentz. It was a bad decision. It was a classic. You know what it was? It was a classic Dan Snyder, go out and get a name because I want to get a big name who at one point was an MVP contender. And, oh, this is, let's just plug him in and hope it works. Well, Dan, why don't you let the people that know football make the decisions? Oh, we, we are, I don't need to ruin this show by going on for an hour about that whole okay. mess. Well, well, we know the mess that he's in, and there's, there's, there's talk about selling the team and all this kind of thing. Uh, but there's just a lot going on. And, and before we take a break, because we're getting ready to have Dusty Baker, um, you were at the Xavier game last night. I was. And, and how did they look? I know they won the game. Yeah, uh, Colby Jones, Xavier's best player, did not play last night. Hurt his ankle in practice the day before the game. So he didn't play. Weird first half, bad first half. Xavier was losing uh, at halftime, but then came out in the second half, played a, a whole lot better. Zach Fremantle, first Xavier player with a triple-double since 2016. Um, Miles Davis had that one against Providence way back when. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, they got it together. And uh, it, it – <laughs> I don't really think there's a ton to take away. Is from. Jones playing against Indiana? So they talked about him in the in the post game media. Uh, Sean Miller said that they want him to go through a shoot around. They want him to go through a practice before he plays. I don't know. Okay. And that's going to be a huge decision. 
Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's early in the year. Yeah. I mean, you know, it really early in the year. Yeah. Um, I'll say this. My Notre Dame fighting leprechauns, they're playing this Wednesday. I'm going to have to get some gear and whatnot so I can. We can get you some Notre Dame gear. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go all out every time they play. Okay. You've got the fighting leprechauns. Yeah. They play Southern Indiana. Well, that's a today. They got a huge one. They got a good coach in Notre Dame. Mike Bray's the man. He is a really good coach. That guy can coach, man. He not necessarily a lot of great players every year, but he can really coach. All right, when we come back, we're going to be joined shortly by Dusty Baker. We appreciate, by the way, uh, many of you who chimed in on Twitter uh, at Tom Brenneman TV. T is in television. V is in television. Um about questions you would ask Dusty. And, you know, we talked a little bit about this on the air yesterday. I mean, I've done my best. Um, I've incorporated some of the questions some of you had for him. Um, you know, we're sitting around here and we're talking about where, where do you start? What do you leave out? Um, everybody wants to talk about the World Series uh, and finally winning it. But, but what about his years in Cincinnati? Why did that come to an end? 2012, they win 97 games, lose to the Giants. Next year, they went over 90, lose in the one-game playoff to the Pirates. Why did that happen? Why did he go to Nationals, win 95 one year, win 97 the next year, and get fired? And then the whole Houston cheating thing. He was a guy that had to clean up that mess, at least inside that clubhouse. So we're going to do our best to cover as many topics as we can uh, with Dusty. Uh, but we really appreciate him coming on, and we're going to have him here shortly, right after this timeout. Welcome back to Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. Johnny B. Dusty Baker was born in Riverside, California in 1949. Moved to Sacramento when he was 14. Was drafted by the Atlanta Braves in 1967. In 68, he started what would be a brilliant 20-year career as a player, primarily with the Braves and the Los Angeles Dodgers. He helped L.A. to pennants in 77-78 and to a World Series title in 1981. In 1993, he would embark on his big league managerial career. He is the only manager in the history of baseball. Think about that for a minute. To take five different franchises to the postseason. The Giants, the Cubs, the Reds, the Nationals, and the Astros. And, of course, this year culminating with his Astros winning the World Series. He's a husband to Melissa and the father of two children. He's also a veteran. Served in the United States Marines from 1969 to 75. All right, Johnny B. Dusty Baker, great to have you with us. What part did I just miss that you're most proud of. Did I miss anything? No, not really. Probably just uh, <clears throat> probably uh, the fact that I played all sports, any sport that I could play, I played them. And I wanted to be the best at them. And I wasn't always the best at them, but I was one of the best at most of them. And uh, uh, I would go out and work and work and practice. And, and uh, you know, I'd see Elton Baylor do a move or somebody and I'd go, I, I practiced like tirelessly until I had that move. And uh, that was probably 
um, sort of culminates how my life has been, you know, like I'm, I'm a, I'm a guy that's, that's willing to work and, and, uh, practice with, uh, you know, a certain amount of skill involved, but, but mostly it was about determination and practice, I think. Dusty, I read an article and, and one of the, the, the pictures, and we all go places where there's pictures hanging up in the wall and you always had in, in your offices, uh, that I was in when you were with the giants, the Cubs, the Reds, Washington, uh, not been to the office in Houston, but I'm sure it's still there. It's one of the most amazing photographs I've ever seen. It's of your dad. And I read an article, uh, and tell me if this is accurate. Uh, I read an article that your dad was coaching you in Little League Baseball. You had terrible temper tantrums, uh, and <laughs> that he would throw you off the team. Is that right or wrong? Well, he didn't actually throw me off the team, but he did cut me off the team. I guess that's the same, <laughs> <laughs> the same thing. Yeah, he cut me when I was eight because uh, I, I struck out and I threw my bat up against the backstop and he cut me and says uh, I need to I had to play in the minors you know for his friend and then um he cut me when I was nine because I made an error and I stomped on my glove and then he cut me when I was 10 because my best friend said he's gonna hit me in the head with, with the ball and the only time I ever been hit in the head was that time and he did hit me so I quit so my dad said no son of his was gonna quit and uh, he cut me when I was 10 and so I, I finally made his team when I was 11 and uh, 12, and also when I was 12, we were at the All-Star uh, game. We are playing against these big kids from El Central and um, and in way Southern California. And uh, he put me in right field, put my best friend at second base. And I was that's why I was a second baseman. And, uh, you know, I took exception to that, and I was pouting. And uh, the ball was hit to me, and, it, and uh, bases loaded, and the ball hit my glove, went over the fence for a, home, a, a grand slam. We lost the game. And uh, from that day on, I said, well, uh, I, I never pout again. And uh, I was going to, you know, work on being one of the best outfielders that I could be. Hey, walk me through, um, and without, without getting into necessarily a lot of the, 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 the details about it, but I know that when you were drafted by the Atlanta Braves uh, and your mom and dad were really worried about the idea of all the racism in the, in the southern part of the United States, they were really worried about their son leaving California and going to the American South. That was mm -hmm. a very big deal for them, was it not? How big a deal well, was it for you? Well, I didn't really know what I was getting into. Actually, you know, my, my mom wasn't as opposed to it as my dad. And it wasn't about going to the South. It was the fact that I was uh, forfeiting my, my scholarships. I had like 40-something in football and 30-something in basketball, none in baseball, a couple in track. And uh, my dad, uh, my mom was about education, but my dad, uh, you know, was the enforcer of education. And my mom and dad had just gotten divorced, and I was at a crossroads. I didn't know what to do. I was the oldest of five. My dad had wanted me to go to the University of Santa Clara where I was going to go play basketball, but it was a, a, a you know, predominantly uh, rich white school. And I had just come from that environment uh, in Carmichael where my brother and I were the only black uh, kids in the high school. And so I didn't really want to go to, you know, a school like that. I wanted to go to Arizona State where they, at that time you only had to carry a 2.0 to stay eligible and party <laughs> and have a good time. <laughs> and my dad read 
Uh, well, I don't know where he read it. Uh, you know, my dad never cursed. Or I never saw Playboy in the house, but my best friend, uh, dad took Playboy. And it said that uh, San Jose State and Arizona State were the one, two party schools in the country. And those are two schools that wanted me. And my dad reminded me that those are the one, two party schools in the country. I wasn't going there. And I don't know. I didn't have the guts enough to ask him <laughs> where he found his information. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, uh, uh, you know, the Braves drafted me. And uh, my dad told him not to. And uh, so they flew my mom and I to L.A. Uh uh, to work out with the Braves. That's where I met Hank Aaron, and Hank told my mom that he would take care of me if I, as if I was his son, but only sign if I had enough confidence in myself to to would have uh, you know to be in the big leagues by the time I graduating class uh, at Santa Clara, you know would have graduated. And I, I mean, certainly you know, uh, confidence was not I wasn't lacking in confidence, so I signed with the Braves in. Dodger Stadium, worked out with them, went to, and then I went to Little Rock, Arkansas. Then my 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 mom was more concerned, uh, you know, about me going to the South. But after I came back, luck, fortunately for me, you know, the first ball I, that was hit to me, we were playing Little Rock, Arkansas. I was with the Austin Braves, and uh, I dropped it, and uh, they they had a a bunch of people in right field. They were calling me a bunch of names. Some of them I had never heard, and some of them were pretty good, and. Uh, I started crying when to come home, and uh, fortunately for me, I had Ralph Gar as my roommate. He was in the same draft, and Cito Gaston, who was older than me, was in center field. And so I always had guys, you know, that you know took care of me. And then I had to come home uh, to to and attend school because at that time, when you signed professional uh, uh, contract, you were professional in every sport. You know, I was the Jim Thorpe Law back in those days. And so when I came home, my dad. Uh, uh, trying to nullify my contract. Uh, we didn't speak for three years. They invoked the Jackie Coogan child prodigy law where where the state of California uh, took over my finances of, you know, the monies that I had signed. They let me buy a car. You know, I had a, a, a you know, a college stipend, which I was attending in junior college here, so I wouldn't get drafted. And, uh, you know, at, at 21 years old, they released the money to me and my money had tripled. And at that time, you know, my mean dad wasn't so mean, <laughs> excuse me, all of a sudden. And so that's when we got back, uh, you know, tight again and forever and ever. Henry Aaron, any way to put into words what that guy meant to you in your life as a man uh, and as a player? Well, he's my dad away from home. And, uh, you know, his wife, Barbara, was my mom away from home. And, uh, uh, you know, he took care of me. And, you know, he made me uh, – you know, go to church. He made me, you know, go to bed, made me get up and eat breakfast. Um, I didn't like some of the stuff that he did because I'm a man now, you know, I'm, I'm grown at 18, 19, <laughs> <laughs> but he promised my mom. And, uh, you know, he, I mean, he not only taught us, you know, how to be a man, how to be a prideful uh, uh, African-American man, but, you know, also, taught us a number of things on the baseball field even though we didn't uh we didn't uh understand a lot of it but he used to always tell us hey man you may not understand but at least retain what i'm telling you and someday you'll see and uh over throughout my career there were things that he told me that came back to me a year later five years later ten years later uh you know he's one of the most astute uh you know people and businessmen that i've ever uh ever met and uh 
you know, uh, I didn't know how fortunate I was at that time, being 19, 20, 21 years old, to, and, you know, he was chasing Babe Ruth around that time, and, uh, you know, everybody wanted to be around Hank. And so I got to meet the, the you know, all the civic leaders of our of our time at that time, you know, Ted Abernathy, uh, you know, Jesse Jackson, um, uh, Maynard, Maynard uh, uh, Jackson, uh, uh, Herman Russell in Atlanta, and, you know, Andrew Young, and uh, including, um, you know, Jimmy and Lily and Carter, because that was the, you know, the state house mm -hmm. was right down from the, from the stadium. So, uh, you know, I met a bunch of, you know, people that, that, that would school me. I was always the youngest. I was always called the kid. And there are a lot of people that would, you know, just school me about life. But I didn't know that, you know, how chosen I was to be in that situation in order to pass it on to others, you know, later in my life and earlier in somebody else's life. You have a brilliant playing career. You were a great player for a long, long time and had, uh, you know, great success uh, individually and collectively, the teams you played for, especially in Los Angeles. In 1993, you are named manager of the San Francisco Giants. What's the best piece of advice or who is the most influential person that helped you to understand that you're now the manager and no longer a player and what a successful manager would be? Well, good question. I, um, Al Rosen, I mean, without a doubt. I mean, Al Rosen kind of handpicked me. Um, I really didn't want to coach. Uh, and I didn't want to manage. I was a stockbroker at the time. Al Rosen had said some, uh, you know, derogatory things, uh, you know, about blacks weren't qualified to do certain things. And then Al, you know, came and got me. And uh, and at the time, I was getting divorced. So divorce is a, a, a theme and a common theme in my, you know, life of success. At the time, I didn't think so. And so, uh, again... Um, I didn't want any, any part of baseball. And uh, uh, I, I asked my dad, I said, Dad, what do I do? He said, well, son, go to the mountain and, and pray on it. So I went up to Lake Arrowhead, my brother and I, and I was uh, about to check in the hotel. I hadn't even prayed yet to ask for guidance of what to do, same way I did when I started my professional career. And uh, Bob Lurie, the owner of the Giants, tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, man, you need to come join us. And I'm like, man, I asked my dad. I went right to the phone and said, Dad, you think that's a sign? And he says, son, he says, that's a sign that you don't want to see, you know, because you go up there and ask for direction and the direction taps you on the shoulder even before you get started. And, and you need to adhere to what you asked for. And so I I, I decided to go with the Giants as a, as a batting, no, first base coach and then the batting coach and then Al Rosen, uh, uh, told me to go to the fall league. And he says, I want you to go to fall league. The club's going to sell. And uh, uh, Bob Quinn's going to come down and, and talk to you. The job is yours. Just don't screw it up and trying to show him how smart you are. So he told me. And he said, <laughs> <laughs> I swear. And he said that, that uh, uh, managers are made to, are born to be fired. So don't worry if down the line you get fired. And I was like, you know, first thing I thought about, not me, man. I, if I'm going to start with the Giants, I'm going to end up like Lasorda or, or, or Walter Austin. I'll be there, you know, my whole career. And uh, and I guess Peter McGowan, uh, Al had, had, had talked about me to Peter McGowan, you know, because it was his ultimate decision. He was a new owner of the club, and I got to thank Peter 
also for giving me the opportunity because that's what's uh, missing a lot of times, especially with the African-American managers or, or any young managers, opportunity. And so uh, I, I can't thank, uh, you know, Al Rosen enough for, for seeing something in me that I, did, I really didn't even see in myself. Um, you take the Giants to the World Series. You lose that heartbreaking uh, series to the Angels. Why did you leave the Giants? Good question. Well, I left the Giants because I, I had been there five years as a manager. Uh, sorry, as a coach, 10 years as a manager. And um, Bill Walsh was one of my mentors um, when I first started this. He said, bring me over to his house. And, you know, we'd have these sessions about media and just different things and management. And just uh, he helped me a whole bunch, him and him and Al Adels. And, uh, and, he, and he told me, he says, um, uh, you know, if he had to do his career all over again, he said he would leave, to, you know, to new surroundings every five to seven years. And because he says that the, uh, every five or seven years, there's something during that period that, that's going to upset you that you don't like about management. And there's something about you that management's probably already upset about. And so, um, you know, that was a tough decision. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I just did what I thought was right. Cause sometimes, you know, you'd had enough now, now it made it difficult. Um, you know, once you get to somewhere else, because see, uh, unless you're living in the town, which I'm kind of dealing with now, Tom, a little bit, unless you're living in the town where you only have to pack for spring training, that's nothing, you know, living in a town where you live. But if you if you live in another town like I live in Sacramento, well, when you leave for spring training, you got to pack for spring training. Then you got to pack for the season. You got to pack for cold weather in New York. You got to pack for uh, uh, hot weather in Atlanta. You got to take almost everything that you own, and that's a double pack twice a year and unpack twice a year. And uh, you know, I didn't think about that then, but you know, my home base is Sacramento. But it was a lot easier when my home base was was, uh, you know, San Francisco, but, um, you know, that's something that I, that I chose. And, uh, you know, people ask me, Hey man, were you fired or this and that? And I always tell them, Hey man, my contract expired twice. I was fired for sure in Cincinnati because I had one year left on my contract. And then one time I left and, uh, that was a very, very, uh, uh, tough decision, but you know, I wasn't that happy. And my wife told me she wasn't gonna, uh, uh, watch me be unhappy you know for too much longer did you think in 03 the way you lost in that league championship series and you had been managing a number of years now uh who would have thought we're having this conversation and you go another 20 but Correct. you know at that time in 03 uh, i did that series for fox and and <clears throat> when you reflect back now how, how do you remember? What do you remember about that series? Because that town, you've been to a lot of places, Dusty. I have too. I've never seen anything like that city for those games yeah. six and seven. Yeah, me neither. Uh, well, I just think about, you know, all my boys were on the other side. You know, Buddy Back played for me. He was a pitching coach. I played with Mickey Hatcher uh, and Bobby Mitchell, and, and Sosa was the manager. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, by no means that people like, oh, why'd you give Russ the ball? I gave him the ball because he had pitched such an outstanding game 
and I thought that he had had enough, not because I thought the game was over. Now, now uh, uh, Phoenix, who came in, Rodriguez, now he was very superstitious. He would always like to throw the ball out and then get a new ball. And so, uh, you know, things just sort of became unraveled at that time. And, uh, um, uh, you know, sometimes things can snowball and you can't stop it. You know, you get one hit, boom, boom, boom. And all they needed was that, you know, was that, <clears throat> you know, was that three run homer. And, uh, you know, I think back, I said, well, should I, you know, what happened is I saw, I started bringing the left-hander, uh, to change Scott, uh, around, but I had seen him hit a home run off the, off a similar pitch that Scott threw. Um, uh, you know, my left-handed reliever and, you know, I watch a lot of games. I do my scouting reports. So I said, well, I think he was be, be better. Uh, we have a better chance of getting him out, um, you know, with Felix pitching. And so like, uh, man, my heart sank when that ball barely went over the fence down that right field corner that, uh, the, the stands erupted to this day. I can't stand monkeys. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Monkey jumping up and down. You know what I mean? It's almost sacrilegious, kind of. But uh, uh, you know, my heart sank, and then, and then I had to make another decision on Game Seven, and that uh, you know that Game Six haunted me for a long time because that was my nemesis until this year was Game Six. Yeah. And uh, and uh, you, you know you hate to have any uh, like like a nemesis at all. But, you know, but we all do. And uh, then game seven, I had to make a decision between Levon Hernandez and, and Kurt Reeder. And, uh, you know, like I went with Levon's experience. But, you know, when I look back, uh, it seems like the softer throwers, um, uh, you know, the, the opposition is so amped up that the softer throwers can, you know, can trick guys um, more than the, you know, the guys that throw a little harder. Because I remember Bobby Jones beat us one to nothing in uh in new york uh, uh you know with the giants i think that was 2000 and um you know he was throwing like soft he was throwing yeah. real soft so you know you learn uh about certain things i mean you look back and you know some if the players perform now you're now you're an expert or a hero but if the players you know don't perform uh or or you put a guy in a position you hope that he comes through and they don't always come through you know, and uh, and sometimes the players rescue you by, you know, by performance. And, uh, that, you know, that's the tough part about being a manager, Tom, is that uh, and it was so much easier as a player because I'm judged on what I do personally. Uh, but as a manager or coach, you're judged on what other people do, uh, you know, that you put into that situation. You go into the Cubs and now you come to Cincinnati in 2008. Uh, you build this thing up. You've got a nice group of young players. Ownership brings in some other guys. In 2010, the team wins the world, uh, the, the division on the Jay Bruce home run. Um, mm -hmm. You just got beat by a better Philadelphia team. Uh, two years I'll later, say. in 2012, uh, it was mm -hmm. your best team here in Cincinnati. Um, as you reflect back, and again, uh, all of us, whether it's demons for some of us in, in one aspect of life, maybe it's decisions and other mm -hmm. things, maybe it's just being a part of something that you're watching and witnessing and you can't explain it. When you look back to the Giants series and you're up two games to none, you come back, we know what happens. I can still see Hunter Pence jumping around in the dugout and everything. Um, <laughs> what happened, do you think, to that team in 2012? Well, first – 
Let's not skip over the Cubs. You know. What well, I, mean? I didn't want to skip over the Cubs, but I only got you so long here, Dusty. So okay. All right. Okay. Then, then, then let's start with the Reds, and I do want to get back to the Cubs in a second. Yeah. Let's talk about though. Yeah, I got you. That 2012 well, team. Yeah, I mean, you know, we had them two to nothing, and uh, and then they go ahead and win the World Series, and it was really tough because I live in Sacramento, so this is this is Giants territory, and it was tough that winter. To see giant stuff on the billboards, giants and flags hanging out the cars. That was the toughest, longest winter that I ever had. But uh, uh, you know, I talked to Scott Rowland the other day, and at one of the games, Scott was as sure hand as anybody I ever had. Him and Matt Williams, and and the balls hit the Scott. You know, would have been the third out, I think, in the eighth inning, and uh, or the ninth inning, and then the uh, the tie and run scored. Then they went ahead and beat us. And then Buster Posey, um, you know, beat us with a grand slam. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had talked to some people the night before in Cincinnati, and they told me that the Giants had a big old party, and they were partying, and they were, you know, acting like they were up to to nothing. And and that taught me something there, too, because they were as loose as anybody could be. But, uh, you know, uh, you know, we had a young team. Uh, boy, that really hurt. I mean, that hurt big time to be up, uh, you know, two nothing, and then end up, uh, you know, they beat us three in a row, which is on my mind this year as as well. It's been on my mind every year. You know, it was on my mind when I was in Chicago. You know, we were up three to two, uh, leaving Miami with uh, coming home with uh, with Pryor and Wood, and so uh, and I remember Pedro Guerrero called me on the phone when I was in Miami. He goes, Dusty, you got to bury him right now because you let him get off the ground. Then, then anything can happen, and so you know these are words that you know that I've never forgotten. And uh, actually, this is some of the things that I uh, you know reminded my team of this year. But I didn't have to. This is the, the team that I had this year and and, uh, and last year was a team that I didn't really have to remind that because they had lost a couple of tough series in the past. And uh, so you know you hope that you learn from things in life and. Uh, you know, perseverance. I was reading this morning. You know, perseverance is the key, and uh, I'm, you know, I persevered, but it was taught to me by my dad and my mom at the same time. Um, back to the uh, the, the Cub thing. Um, I, I was doing that series for Fox, and uh, you know, much is made of of Game Six. You come back home. You you just mentioned you're up three games to two. The Marlins get eight runs in the eighth inning. There's the whole Steve Bartman drama. Um, yep. I got, you know, Dusty, I, I, I got to ask you, um, um, and if you want to talk about that game or that series, yeah, that's fine. fine. But, but, but I, but I have to say this to you, and I don't think I've ever said this to you before to me, um, of all the places you've been, and I might be a thousand percent wrong to me, you never seemed happy in Chicago. Is that an unfair statement? No, it's not unfair. Not unfair at all, you know. Because like, uh, it just uh, it just seems like the at first the town, you know, the first year the town was was seemed like they were for me, and then after that, I, I mean, I I got a, I never had. Uh, well, you know, let me put it this way. You know, I was um, thinking about Hank Aaron, you know, and I got a number of uh, of. Uh, hate calls. I got a, a number of, of uh, racial letters. You know, I got a number of things that, um, uh, you know, that really hurt. But 
I dealt with it because I had been with Hank Aaron. It felt like I was living a part of Hank Aaron's life all over again with him because I was with him and he was getting those death threats and he was going for Hank Aaron. And see, it's like I felt that the town, like, you know, turned on me. Yeah, and I, I, I and, felt that way. Yep. And, and uh, you know, my wife didn't even want me to go out by myself because I'd always – you know, somebody say a wisecrack or something or whatever. The the uh, hate crime division of the FBI came in because I got some white powder that they, they you know could have been anthrax at that time. They were sending these letters around with different things, and uh, then then um, I couldn't figure out why the Tribune uh, company, you know, didn't spend any more money. I had like a triple A team out there the last year, and I was like, oh okay. Then I figured it out finally because it was similar to when I got traded from the Braves to the Dodgers, where you cut your assets and then you sell the team and then you make uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, when the, when the Braves uh, were sold to Ted Turner yeah. uh, and you know, traded us all. And I was, we were all trying to figure out why they traded Ron Reed, Ralph Gar, myself, Earl Williams, uh, Tom house. They, they cleaned house and it was like, well, why? And then, and then I started thinking back about the Tribune. You know, they didn't put any money back into the club uh, uh, that final year. And then there are guys walking around with the same signs that they were walking around this year for, <laughs> for Tony LaRusso. I know how he felt when they fired Tony or fired Dusty. And, you know, every time I stick my head out of the dugout, I get booed. And it's like, no, I wasn't happy. But, hey, man, uh, I, 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 I really, really wanted to be that first manager to win the the uh, the World Series there, especially to go back to back, because I, I I went in 2002, and then then we had a chance to go in 2003. Mm -hmm. I mean, that had been historic. And I talked to Jim Hendry, uh, you know, sometimes just talked to him a couple years ago. And uh, you know, if we make a, a a play and turn the double play, yep. with bases loaded, the Bartman game, and then and then people's like, why'd you stick with Pride and Wood so long? Because I didn't have the bullpen that I have now. You know what I mean, and uh, yep. that you know that was my that was my one not weakness, but that was a area of, of not of strength, and 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 our strength was our starting pitching. You know, Zambrano and and, yep. and and Wood and Pryor, and uh, boy, I just uh, you know I think back, you know, I could have been Joe Madden, you know, at the same time. So, uh, but it it was not to be. And, and and I I look back and I said, well, if things had, had had gone my way, I probably wouldn't have managed as long as I've managed, you know that, and I probably wouldn't have have um, uh, hopefully influenced uh, uh, you know young men's and women's lives the way I, that, that I wanted to. And I remember I told my dad, I said, Dad, I I just want to go off and go up in the woods someplace, and then you know, live my life, you know, happily, you know, thereafter. And my dad told me, he said, son, the, the knowledge and wisdom that, that's been given to you and the great players that you've been around and great people that you've been around, that, that the Lord didn't want you to take that knowledge with you and run away with it because it's not yours to possess, that it's yours to share with others. And, uh, you know, when I look back, like I said, I look back on things and uh, it, things worked out the way they're supposed to work out. Why Why the departure from Cincinnati? Uh, actually, you know, um, I didn't want to depart from Cincinnati, you know, but like sometimes, sometimes I open my mouth and there's a couple of things that I've probably said to Bob Castellini that I shouldn't have said. 
And, uh, you know, I've learned that, you know, that you don't say certain things to certain people because, you know, you think you're safe because of the amount of money that you're making. But but to a rich guy, the amount of money that you're making is probably peanuts to, to, to him, really. And so, uh, you know, I said some things, you know, about, you know, we need this or we need that. And, and then Chris Spire said some things. Um, and then they wanted me to fire Brooke Jacoby. And I said, no, I'm not going to fire him. And uh, and they said, hey, man, you know, here's your walking papers. And, uh, you know, I, I thought I was relatively uh, safe. But, you know, that was a blessing in disguise as well because, you know, I got to marry my daughter. You know, every time I got fired, Tom, I got to, uh, like, like one time I got to bury my dad, you know, I was home and, you know, I wouldn't have been home. Uh, one time I got to bury my brother, you know, uh, I wouldn't have been home and I got to see my son graduate from high school. I wouldn't have been home. And then I got to marry my daughter in, in, in my backyard by this big tree that she always wanted to get married by. So, uh, like I said, a lot of these things were probably meant to be. And I tried to try to, turn a, a, a negative always and into a possible positive. You go to the Nationals. You win uh, 95 games in 16. You win 97 games in 17. You get let go there. Um, are you I scratching your head? Are you scratching yeah. your head at this point, Dusty, in all seriousness, uh, with, with all mm -hmm. of the incredible success, minus winning the whole thing, and we'll get to that in a minute. But when you look at the, the Giants, the Cubs, the Reds, the Nationals, you take all these franchises to the playoffs, you win 97 <laughs> games in 17, and you're not back. That's almost impossible to believe. Yeah, well, that was impossible for me to believe. And, and you know, of all the stops, probably besides San Francisco, I really liked Washington the best. You know, the uh, you know the mixture of races, of you know the cultural uh, um, things that you know that are there, the educational um, uh, component. You know, the White House. I mean, I, I really liked you know the diversity uh, of Washington and. Um, and they liked me, but, um, you know, I asked for, for a raise, I asked for more money. And, uh, cause I thought I was doing the job at that time. I had lost like probably 40%, uh, you know, of where I was before. And, and, and I believe always believe that, Hey, if I do the job, even as a player, if I do the job, then I should be paid accordingly. And, uh, you know, we never got to the point of, uh, of uh, negotiation or anything. And then they, um, I stayed around for a week. You know, I packed, went to the office every day, waited around to, to find out, you know, what was going on. And then, so I finally, I said, Hey, I'm going home. I came home on a Thursday and then Friday morning, once I was home, then I got a call, you know, from Rizzo who, who I could tell, man, you know, he really wanted me back and I, I liked working with him. And he says, "Hey, man, they that old famous they're going another direction, and you you really want to ask, well, what direction is that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, know? right, He's right. Like, yeah, I hate that. Let's go. No, <laughs> mean, so uh, anyway, um, you know that was uh, uh, you know that was that. I, I I didn't understand it, but you know, like 
I wasn't their first choice in the first place. And, uh, you know, Buddy Black had been their first, first choice, but Buddy had asked for a certain amount of salary and they refused it. And so, you know, they gave me uh, a little bit more than they gave him. Uh, but, you know, uh, uh, when I look back at it, I mean, I, I like to think that it was, it was probably a money decision versus a decision on how you do on the field. But sometimes I, I, I would feel during my career that if I didn't win at all, that I was, I was deemed, a, you know, like a, a failure. And I was like, there's only going to be one winner. You know what I mean? And uh, uh, I've never, ever uh, let myself, you know, feel like a failure, ever. I mean, I've gotten down, but like my dad used to tell me, it's okay to get down, just don't stay down. And, uh, you know, I've, I've lived that code and, uh, you know, all my life. And so I always said, if I win one, I'm going to win two. And the reason I want to come back next year is because I want to be a liar. And I want to win too, like Cito Gaston did back to back. And uh, oh, you know, I'm full of goals. And uh, plus, you know, you look at it, and I mean, there was there was a two year period between each time I lost my job times three. You know, that's a lot of victories, and that's a lot of earning power. Uh, you know, during that six years in there. But again, like I said, I, I accomplished some things in 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 life and family that I wouldn't have been able to do had I been in the game. So, uh, uh, like, sometimes uh, what you want to do and, and, and what God wants you to do are two different things. And so I've just learned, hopefully I've learned this lesson that, um, you know, you better do with, you know, what the man asks you to do upstairs. You finally win the whole thing this year. Uh, I, I thought, and, you know, uh, I, I thought the way you brought this team through the whole cheating scandal thing, uh, that in and of itself, I thought was just one of the greatest managerial things, lack of a better word, uh, that I've ever seen. Uh, you, 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 you blow through the first two rounds of the playoffs, you lose game one of the series, you tie it, you fall behind two to one. You mentioned that that you knew that, uh, you know, hey, look, we just got to keep going and keep going. When the final out happens, or maybe it's a sequence of that final half inning or the last couple of innings, you've got to pay attention to the game. But, hey, whether it's the Lord working in mysterious ways or your mind drifting into things, was there something that popped into your head during all that you were thinking about? That, that, that here we are and this is going to happen, finally. Mm-hmm. Well, you start counting outs, but you know you, you, you don't. The game's not won until until final out, and uh, you know I was just thinking, thanking the Lord for bringing me to that point, thinking that uh, you know I was actually playing this year for my, you know, for my mom who passed January thirty first before the season started, so this year didn't start off very <laughs> very good. You know what I mean? Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, and I was thinking about my brother who passed three years ago, and my dad who passed ten years ago, and uh, you know, my dad when I was a kid, I heard him. You know, he's playing pinochle with his buddies, and they used to play like late at night. And I'm using the bathroom, and I'm listening to him. And and one guy, I'm the oldest of five, and my brother was actually a better baseball player than me. You know, I was better in football and basketball, but he was 
a lot better in baseball. And uh, he didn't sign because he wore glasses. They didn't like wearing, you know, signing the kids. You know, uh, the, you know, the wore glasses out their eyesight, you know, was going to get worse. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that, you know, they didn't have contacts back then. And so my dad, uh, this guy was telling my dad, man, Dusty's going to be a good ball player. And my dad says, yeah, but you got to see Rob, man. Rob's going to be the player. <laughs> so, so I never let him know that I heard this or anything. But uh, also when I lost in, in Anaheim, my dad was at the game. And, uh, 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 and my dad was down and out and sad. And see, you know, back then, the older generation, a lot of times they – they they would use negative motivation as a as, you know like you can't do this or or hey man you know you won't do that where nowadays you can't use negative motivation you know to the young kids because a lot of them would just sit out on you and quit you know yeah. what I mean so so my dad uh, never forget and I've told people this you know he told me he said son you know I don't know if you'll ever win one uh, a pennant or not uh, uh, you know we didn't win it that year in San Francisco because, you know, we had them down, you know what I mean? And, uh, and, and he says, I don't know if you'll ever win one, uh, you know, after this. And that, that that's the first thing that I thought about was say, hey, Dad, you know, you know you're wrong again. I mean, I swear that's the first thing I thought about, Dad, you're wrong. Everybody again. wants to say, Dad, you're wrong, right? <laughs> You have this only a couple of times in your whole life that you're gonna be able to say it. You know you're I mean? right about that. <laughs> you're, I mean, you're shit. My dad's it, never it, been wrong. You know that. <laughs> I hate that the truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is definitely the truth. Um, yeah. You know, the older you get, um, and, and frequently we talk about this word when we talk about uh, presidents, former presidents. Um, the word legacy, um, look, you know, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody in any sport in my life, any one individual that had more people rooting for Dusty Baker to win a world series more so than anybody else I've ever seen in my life. I mean, everywhere I went around here in Cincinnati and just talking to people. And then talking to people outside of town. And you had to feel this and sense this and heard from so many hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands. But Dusty Baker's legacy, what, what I know about you or think I know about you and a lot that I don't know about you, your legacy to you means what? It can't be all about a, being a World Series champion. That's certainly part of it. Yeah. But when you think mm. about the legacy of, of Dusty Baker, and a lot of people don't like to think this way because you're not dead, but thank you. what would it be? You're welcome. What would it be? What do you <laughs> want it to be? Mm. Never really thought about it um, now that you mentioned it. Um, you know, if I hadn't won, I think people, a lot of people would have lost hope and, and faith, not in me necessarily, but, but faith in, in um, you know, the right thing happening sometime, you know, for the right person, because there's a lot of people uh, that feel hopeless in this world. And a lot of people that, that, that I talk to there, you know, you know, they put some of their hope and their strength and their perseverance into you and what you're doing in order to, you know, 
sort of like a mayor, uh, a mayor that they're looking into to to let them know that they have some hope. You know what I mean? And um, yeah. um, it's a bad feeling, you know, to feel hopeless. I think that's the one of the worst feelings in the world is is hopelessness and guilt and 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 those those couple things can just eat you up which i saw it eat my brother up um um you know who died of man depressant and 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 you know one of the saddest situations i've ever seen but i i think that what we did um it, it now like i said hopelessness it gets rid of that uh perseverance definitely and also the fact that possibly forgiveness because i think that the hardest thing in life one of the hardest things for me to do is forgive you know my auntie used to tell me all the time nephew you, you know you got to forgive it eats you up you know i could hold a grudge from now to doomsday you know what i mean and then but it does you no good and uh you know i think that you know the fact that you know we won you know gives a lot of people uh the things that i talked about uh you know, in the past, I mean, I, I've talked to many people, grown men, women, little kids, and and a whole bunch of people told me they were crying, and and you know, my dad always said, "Hey, don't be crying, boy. I give you something to cry about." You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, you know, the fact that people admitted this to me, um, that they were emotional and crying, that that shows me that they're not you know, ashamed or afraid to show, you know, you know, their emotions. And I'm hoping that what we did, um, you know, gave a, a, you know, tremendous amount of hope and, and, and forgiveness for whatever happened in Houston. And, and hopefully it's over now. You know what I mean? Well, Dusty, I, I you know, uh, I've met a lot of amazing people in my life and I, and I think that, um, I think there are oftentimes, you know, you talk about forgiveness. I, I, I think that, you know, sometimes we go through life, and I'm sure you've had this, where, where maybe, you know, the forest for the trees, you don't appreciate situations or you don't appreciate people. Maybe at the time in your life as you get older and you look back on those things and, and, and you know, you're one of those guys um, that, you know, I, I regret I didn't get to know better because I, I had a chance to be around you uh, the years you were with the Reds. You're an amazing man. Um, on so many levels, and, and, and levels are so much deeper uh, than being a baseball manager. You're an amazing guy. And, and I know I speak for so many people that are just so excited for you that you're healthy, uh, you've had to battle through cancer, that you, you keep coming back for more, man. You keep coming back yeah. for more. And, um, well, it's getting close time to the end, though. You know what I mean? It's like, well, uh, I don't know if it is or not. I mean, you you know, you nah. just keep coming back. I I wouldn't say that. That's bad mojo. You know say, that. You can't say, say that. I was done. I didn't say I was done. I was saying I'm getting close. You know what I mean? <laughs> Every year is one step closer. But, um, yeah, it's been great. I mean, it's been great. Uh, it's been great to be back home. I just got home yesterday. Yeah. And uh, it's, 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 a, it's a great thing to, you know, to talk to you. And I was talking to my wife last night about, you know, like I thought I heard some guy trying to sound like you the other day on the NFL football. And I was like, man, you know, we got to get you back on TV. Because well, I mean, because you're certainly one of the best. Well, I appreciate it. Dusty, I can't thank you enough uh, for your time today. You just got back from Houston. It's been an incredibly long journey going back to spring training. 
uh, and and congratulations and sincerely from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for taking the time bright and early out in California this morning to join us. Can't thank you enough. All right. All God right. bless you. God hey, bless you, my good, friend. Good luck to you, my brother. All thank right. Thank you, man. Later. All right. Dusty Baker. Doesn't get any better than that. Guy's an amazing dude, man. Amazing dude. Uh, and we thank him, and we thank all of you who were uh, tuned in. I don't think we need a cherry on top. That's it, right? Yeah. That's it. That's a cherry on top. Um, okay, the guys are coming in, right? Momentarily. We'll go to break. Momentarily, we'll go to break. Uh, we thank Dusty Baker for his time. Um, man, that dude's an amazing guy. We're back in a minute. All right, we're back on uh, Off the Bench, presented by United Dairy Farmers. But coming up, box lunch. Uh, it'd be nice, you know, but when you're the boss, you don't have to worry about being on time or being ready to go. You know, nothing like that, Reed. Right? Well, I mean, yeah, he does what he wants. I mean, we, we, we have to, you know, do what he tells us to do, and then he just does his own thing. I mean, but that he's the boss. He that, pays the check. That's so exactly that's, right. That comes I'm, I've, I'll never know that feeling of what it's like to be the boss. Uh, but Trace is a boss, and so he rolls in whenever he wants. What about in your household? Are you the boss in the household? Uh, no. No. Uh, no, I used to be. Uh, I, uh, one of our two dogs uh, is 14 and a half, just went blind in about the last year and a half. Nothing we could do about it. With her, I'm still the king. Okay. Uh, but that's about it. Hmm. That's about it. Now, you guys are in your houses because, you know, little, little ones in your house, you know, the whole deal. I mean, you're still the king. I'm not the king. Just wait. Anything. Just wait. What do you got going on today, boys? Well. That's a good list right there. Yeah, I would say that um, Dusty Baker was something, man. That was pretty insightful, to say the least, on multiple great. levels. I mean, great. the fact that you went through pretty much all of the stops, and he was pretty transparent on some of his thoughts mm -hmm. um, on a few of those stops was, was something. But, you know, I know that right now, and I don't know if the decision's been made, but maybe – does, has a decision been made with Collier yet? Yeah, he with chose, chose USC. USC. Okay. USC. So that's news. Um, is that that's not shocking? We'll get into that later. But but as far as uh, what was your thoughts on it? I didn't really yeah. get a chance to hear. Well, hear I you. wish we had more time. Right. I, I and, mean, you know, there are lots of, we talked about it before we had him on. We talked about it yesterday. Right. Uh, you know, you, you wish you could talk about because I know the military experience was a big deal for him. Right. Uh, and serving in the U.S. Marines. Um, you know, I, I really wanted to talk about his dad quite a bit. That whole story, and he, and he touched on it. He walked you through it, but walked it through it quickly. I, I would invite anybody to go back and read that story about what happened with him and his father. They, they, they were so close for so long, and his dad was so intent on him going to college and not going to play professional baseball right out of high school. And, and you heard him say it. He did not talk to his father for three years. Mm. Three years. And, you know, by the time I got to know Dusty Baker, him and his dad were like, I mean, they were like this, mega tight. Uh, and so, you know, I would have liked to have kind of prodded that a little bit more, and, and he'd have been open to talking about it. Um, and then the, the, the Bob Castellini stuff there was, was interesting. Yeah. You know, you wonder what, what, what did he say to Bob Castellini? You know? Well, it's interesting because three of his stops along the way, you know, I'm a Cubs fan, Trace is a Reds fan, Paul over there is a Nats fan. I feel like that whole conversation of how he left each job was kind of a little heartbreaking yeah. to, to each of us because we all love Dusty. Yeah. 
and just hearing everything that he's been through was incredible. I was glad that, that I had a chance to ask him, though, about his, him being unhappy in Chicago because yeah. that was real. A lot of people don't remember that. His first year, he's king of the mountain uh, mm-hmm. when he takes him to the league championship series and they get beat. Uh, but the ensuing years got very, very ugly. He touched on some of the, the, the racial stuff, the letters. Uh, the second he would step out of the dugout, they'd boo the heck out of him. It, 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 it was brutal. And I just remember just kind of sad going there to do games from time to time. But I'd sit there and just think to myself, man, th- th- this looks like just a bad situation. And he, he all but admitted that's exactly what it was. I remember the 2004 season. The Cubs were supposed to be really good. Yeah, They just went to the NLCS. They get Nomar at the trade deadline. They get Greg Maggs to come back. They were supposed to go to the World Series. And it's just funny how sour things get. I, I had no idea about any of that. I was young when he was yeah. the Cubs Yeah, it was bad. But. He just had a bad vibe, really bad vibe to it. It was too bad. But he's great. I mean, golly, the guy, the guy he, he just keeps on rolling. Yeah, it's almost as if, um, which, not to put words in his mouth, but it seemed as if he just keeps going because he knows nothing else to a certain extent, right? It's like, for his sake, it's kind of like wanting to stay active and yep. wanting to do things and don't want to go and sit around and do nothing because no, uh, I don't think not, there's been a single moment in his life where he's done that. No, there's no chance. No chance. It, no. it validates all of the feelings that we had wanting Dusty to win the World Series after you hear him talk and yeah. hear everything you've been through, it validates that much more that no one in baseball, perhaps the history of baseball, has deserved a world championship more than Dusty yep. Baker. No doubt. No, and he's on his way to the Hall of Fame. I think he was yeah. uh, even without winning the World Series, but he is definitely on his way to the Hall of Fame uh, now. And, and, and they can put him in, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, right away as a manager. You have to sit around and wait all those years. Tony La Russa is already in, and he's been managing. Of course, he walked away from the game for a while, but, but they can put him in, and hopefully that's very, very soon. Because when you get to be a guy his age, yeah. good Lord willing, I mean, but you just never know. Why do we do that as humans? Why do we wait until people pass away to well, start doing things for people that we should have done before when they were alive and they could have enjoyed it? Yeah. It happens, like, all the time. All if the somebody time. passes away, next thing you know, they're in the Hall of Fame, like, the very next year. Yep. They're being memorialized. Like, and that's what... To the small extent, not to jump back into the Pete talk, but that's to a small extent of, I think, what you were somewhat getting at earlier, not to put words in your mouth. But it's like, a, I think it's safe to say that he's, he's, he's been punished. Uh, you could argue whether it's or not if it's enough or yeah. whether it's too little, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're going to put him in the Hall of Fame when he dies, let's put him in the Hall of Fame now. Yeah. Well, I, think that's part, I think that's part of it. I think they're, that's part of the punishment is they're going to yeah. not let him – be able to celebrate that yeah uh, but 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 it, it just seems, begs the question of what are we what are we doing like what's yeah. the what's the point what, 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 what are we what exactly are we accomplishing as a humanity for letting people die and then and then and then trying to after the fact try to try to piece it all together like as we've said in this office before you could you can say whatever you want about barry bonds and you can say whatever you want about pete rose but as you guys have said time and time again this isn't me saying it i'm somewhere else saying it as a group if your if your goal is is the baseball hall of fame is to tell a story and to tell yeah, to people a about a about about a game and it's a museum, then how in the world are you not going to have Pete Rose and or Barry Bonds in there? Yeah. I mean, if you want to have some something little small at the bottom that says, "Hey, these guys were a part of these allegations, et cetera, et cetera," who cares? That's fine. 
let the guy read it. Let yep. them make their own decision on whether or not they feel like they're worthy of being in there or not. Yep. But I do think there's a small thing. Maybe it's justification, but I don't think we talk about Pete Rose. Now, no offense to Pete. I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve to be talked about, but I was joking with him the other day. Like, Of course, he's better than Wade Boggs. I'm not suggesting he's not. But nobody yeah. talks about how great Wade Boggs was. This was the chat. So like, this is almost like the topic that, for his sake, his legacy, in my opinion, has been elevated because of the fact that Major League Baseball has decided not to put him in, and his name gets brought up from time to time because of it. It's a and then you, conversation. And then people like my son, who's 10 years old, knows about Pete Rose but doesn't know about Wade Boggs. Yeah, yeah. So maybe it's a blessing in disguise. And, a, and I know mm, Pete doesn't feel that way. That. But that's my spin zone, Tom. All right. It's time for you guys to have your spin zone for the next hour. That's what we do best. That's right. Spin it around. We're so, gonna put gentlemen, your- box lunch. Take it away.